Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Uh, whether you're catching the show live or an archive, uh, welcome everyone to today's show. Uh, a little quick uh, info about me if you're new to the channel. Uh, my name is Jim Ventura. I am a professional navigational consultant. Um, I'm an astrologer. I work with a number of different types of oracles and uh, runes and tarot cards and numerology, all kinds of things like that. I've been doing that for many years. I do private sessions with clients here in my home office in Phoenix, as well as by phone. Info about those services can be found at jimventura.com. And uh, I always want to interject this until I get this fixed on the site. If you do go to the site and it says the page is not secure, when you're looking through the website, do not be alarmed. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, it's just an excuse for the web browser to get me to spend more money to make it secure when it doesn't need to be. It's only if you're punching information in, uh, on a site, you need it to be secured, and my site is not, it's not an option. It's just information. Okay. So anyway, uh, also, obviously, I am a writer and a columnist. Um, in fact, today's show is going to be a live column read and then further discussion about this, uh, this month's column. I do an every other month column called Snake Oil. If you're not already getting my column, you can email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com. You should be able to find that info uh, on this site as well, too, or at my website uh, to get added to the mailing list. Um, and the uh, column is about every two months, and that's about the only info I send out, by the way. I don't send out a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, advertising uh, stuff to my uh, mailing list just every, again, two months, the column, and a little info on there as well. Okay. So I published a couple of books, and uh, one of them is Snake Oil Volume 1, which is the first five, six years of my column. Some years ago, that's available on Amazon as well. Okay. So let's dive right into it. Um, I'm going to do a live column read. Um, while I absolutely appreciate the enthusiasm, I see there's a couple of people waiting to uh, call in. Um, unfortunately, guys, I don't take live calls for the uh, column read shows. Uh, it's just not set up for that. It's, it's, a, it's a live column read and a little more discussion about that. So I'm not able to answer personal questions during these shows. Uh, follow me on the site anyway, just because uh, I do do shows uh, like that once in a while where I will take live calls so you can catch those and, and certainly call in uh, once in a while. I will do those, but not on the uh, on the column read shows, uh, it's a 45-minute show. We just really simply don't have enough time, and I like to devote it to the subject at hand. Uh, but anyway, so uh, you can catch that. Usually when I do astrology update shows or other filler shows along the way, I do take calls. Okay. So that being said, I'm going to do the column read, and, um, and then we will uh, subsequently talk a little bit more about that. So this was a new column, and I have a little more uh, added info about this once I finish uh, about where this is kind of leading. This is a little bit of a different type of a column that I did. So this is my snake oil for uh, July and August, and it's called uh, Revenge of the Birds. I remember seeing the Alfred Hitchcock classic, The Birds, when I was about 12. The scene where an unnerving amount of birds are flocking around one of the main characters in the background was truly ominous. In this scene... Tippy Hedren is actually attacked by birds, and it's terrifying. Master of Suspense, the director brings up the scary possibility of nature actually turning against us. 
While it was a brilliant idea and in all practicality, highly unlikely, it has still made us think about what could happen if we abuse nature and take it for granted. What if animals slash nature turned against us? We had a cat when I was around that age in addition to our usual house full of three dogs. He was an inside cat. We spent a lot of time outside by choice. Our cat and dogs absolutely never fought each other like cats and dogs were supposed to do. Rainbow was definitely a hunter. He would bring us dead birds or what remained of them, mice and even a rabbit once. Each time we, of course, cringed. I would always know, I always knew that it was part of the cat's nature and he was proud of his skills as a hunter, but it was not pleasant. His major catch was birds, though. It seemed in the nicer New York weather months, he typically got one to three of them every few weeks or so. They used to joke that the birds in our area must have hated him. How many bird family members did he take out? I once saw him at the side of the house, our house, when he wasn't feeling well and tried to sleep as a bunch of birds screeched at him and flew by. Some actually flew close by him, seeming to almost taunt him. I didn't feel bad for him, though. He was often brutal to many of them. But the strangest thing I ever saw was watching Rainbow drinking out of our above-ground pool while balancing himself on its edge. I was up early Sunday morning trying to enjoy the day before my large family all woke up, and my mother would inevitably heavily suggest we go with her to church or quiz us about what specific Catholic mass we were going to attend. Not going, unfortunately, wasn't an option. Savoring some of the brief moments of peace and quiet that morning, I looked out the backyard sliding glass doors and saw something wild. The birds, in clear formation, were taking turns flying close to Rainbow's butt and even trying to seemingly push him into the pool. He was obstinate and kept his balance. One of the birds hit so close that Rainbow scrambled not to fall in. I imagine the birds would high-five each other if they were able to do such a thing. They were relentless in their formation strikes, and even when he tried to jump down, they made that difficult for him, too. The coordination strategy, even the intention to harm him, was unquestionable. This was the first time I began to see that sometimes nature does try to strike back, and there were interesting aspects to animals not everyone noticed. Rainbow's life ended a few years later when he found his way into a part of one of the cars on our driveway on a cold New York winter day. He was apparently trying to get warm and fell asleep. My brother started his car, not knowing the cat was in there, and I will spare the uncomfortable graphics. Maybe it was his cat, cat karma catching up with him. <clears throat> More likely it had nothing to do with that, and it was just his time. Either way, he was a character from my childhood. He tuned me into seeing something I would logically think would never happen, and the amazing recognition that it seems sometimes that animals do actually hold grudges. Part two. I've always enjoyed watching the behavior of animals. I know how much they can teach us. I was programmed by my school science classes to see nature as mostly a survival of the fittest structure. I never doubted that this was true in some respect, but I often saw signs of real cooperative behavior between animals as well. Animals at times clearly took care of each other worked together in formation for a greater good, and were even at times kind. So powerful is the strength of the mothering instinct in animal kingdom that at times they even take over parenting responsibilities for children that are not their own. 
There are countless examples of when the children were of a different species and they take care of them too. If this is not a powerful example of cooperation caring among animal species, then clearly some of my school science teachers had blatantly missed something. Even when we look at the most uncomfortable aspects of when animals kill and even eat each other, there are other layers to this reality than just seeming cruelty. Obviously, the need for protein and other survival elements taken from one animal to another are one aspect of this physical necessity. Watching a cat, for instance, slowly, often, killing a bird, rabbit, bug, lizard, or mouse is not something that I enjoy by any means. Yet this is quite natural, too. From a metaphysical perspective, the animal knows their roles. I think while the physical body of a poor, nearly defeated bird may still fight somewhat until the end, their consciousness exists part of the way through the earth. Let me put that again. Their consciousness exits part of the way through this ordeal. The body's natural automatic response will, st will still attempt an escape. It was designed to. But it also does know and accept the inevitable. Like some cultures' viewpoints, many American Indians, for example, they believe that the consciousness of the bird joins in the cat's body in some respects and then sees the world through the cat's eyes and even its body, like a joining of souls. To an observer, it can seem inhuman, and it is. But it's our perception of what is good and bad and our fear of death being the ultimate end that's a source of the understanding of this natural process. Nature has its own reasons, balances, and rhythms. Animals in nature don't have the choice to go to a supermarket for food. Suggesting that they are bad for hunting is sheer nonsense. Not a fan of hunting personally, yet I respect most hunters, especially when the ax falls within the path of not just killing for sport. Catching and killing an animal to feed one's family or to thin a herd as overpopulated and causing damage is at times a part of life, and even at times quite necessary whether we approve of it or not. I'm no fan of animal, uh, cruel animal farming or any other form of animal cruelty by any means. In the quest for profit above all, uh, above the, excuse me, in the quest for profit above all, often triggered by greed and overpopulation, needs cries out for healthy reform. We can and we should do better. Recognizing the life cycle of each being, it's time to receive, it's time to give, and it's time to sacrifice need not mean turning a blind eye to unnecessary inhumanity. I personally choose to keep my meat-eating footprint fairly small, but not fully committed to a vegetarian or vegan diet. I have great respect for those who have, though. There are, many, there are so many things animals give us, and learning to read the book of nature by watching animals can give us insight into ourselves and the world around us. Watching the movement of flocks of birds, how cats can fight and then cuddle up later to stay warm, Ants working together on a mission, a mother dog protecting her young, bees doing their job, etc., can help to see how organized, cooperative, and yes, even loving nature can be. You don't have to kill an animal to benefit from its energy and wisdom. This is, this is what it means to take on an animal as totem, to use the skills and wisdom of different animals to navigate more effectively in our own lives. We can learn to recognize our place in the circle of life, not above or below the animals, but as brothers and sisters to them and part of an equal family of living beings on this earth. Okay, so that was this month's column. And, and let me comment a little bit more on this and also explain why I broke it into two parts. 
which I normally don't do. But uh, the reason is I actually have started a new book. Um, and so the first part of this would be part, potentially part of this new book I'm working on. Um, and the second part, obviously, would not include in the new book. And here's why. The new book I'm writing is a collection of stories uh, about my childhood, about my life. I'm kind of attentively calling the title Cast of Characters. And um, I have always been a, you know, a storyteller, Sagittarius, and a, uh, uh, and a lot of that gears toward humor as well. So this is a, a book that, uh, interestingly, is not a metaphysical book. So that's why I broke this up because I, the first part is a story about a cat I had, you know, and how crazy that cat was, obviously, if you listen to the piece. Second part was kind of a little bit more of a metaphysical slant on, on kind of understanding the purpose, the energy, and the vibration of animals. So uh, that's why I broke it up that way. Uh, if, if I do use it in the new book, it'll be just the first part. And, you know, uh, you know, more to that, maybe in future shows, that's why I'm doing that. Um, you know, uh, just skill I have with creating caricatures of human beings and being able to laugh at some of the crazy characters and ridiculous and wonderful people in my life and uh, that I'm a pretty strong writer. I don't have time to do a book like that, uh, partly because, you know, I think we, we, we live in a time where humor has become a bit suspect and, uh, you know, we've become a very hypersensitive culture about humor and uh, I'd like to bring a little bit of healthy humor back and a little healthy sarcasm because it obviously can be fun. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit more about this piece. Uh, welcome to everybody kind of joining me in the chat room. Or um, I see, again, a couple of callers are calling in. Um, I so appreciate the calls, guys, but on, on column read shows, I don't take live calls uh, only because people tend to want to ask personal questions and you know, have a little mini reading, and, and that's kind of not the purpose of these um, column shows. Uh, you can follow me here, and sometimes I do astrological update shows and uh, other shows where I do take live calls. So, you know, um, I do that on occasion, but not always, again, with live column reads and discussion shows I don't do. We just don't have the time, and, and while your personal questions are often awesome and sometimes helpful to people listening, kind of not the theme of, of what the, uh, the column shows are typically about. Okay, so that being said, let's talk a little bit about this further. So, so it's funny because I had posted this, um, this uh, column on, on Facebook, as I do on several social media sites, and I had one of my you know, friends, followers on Facebook, um, who, when I posted this about the Alfred Hitchcock movie being the lead-in of the piece, she jumped in and said, you know, did you see the documentary about how abusive Alfred Hitchcock was to Tippi Hendren and other women on set? And my answer to that is, yes, I actually did. I remember seeing that on a cable channel some years ago and finding out that Alfred Hitchcock was somewhat abusive um, or very abusive. Um, you know, a lot of that doesn't surprise me. I think there was a lot more of that going on unchecked. Uh, back in the 50s and the 60s and the 40s and even before that. Um, I'm glad that the Me Too movement came along to dispel some of that nonsense of men, you know, and gross men, <laughs> you know, taking advantage of women. And, and it's a shame that Timmy Hendricks had probably likely gone through that. Uh, but uh, so I appreciated that. But I did catch that. Uh, you know, I, there's still 
uh, some, you know, may not be thrilled with some of Alfred Hitchcock's behavior, as it was with many people in this world. But it was still a good movie, and it was really just more about a lead-in to the story. So uh, um, I appreciated that comment, but I think she's kind of misconstruing why I, I had to post that. I always think the same thing. You know, some of Woody Allen's movies were really amazing and great, but I question him in terms of personal, moral, ethical things that he's done. I think he was a little bit of a piece of crap. You know, <laughs> again, maybe throw the baby out of the bathwater. We all can kind of dance on that line. You can go the same way with Michael Jackson or anything else for that matter. That's a personal decision. Um, anyway, the point in all this story that a couple of things I wanted to bring up that I think are, are important to, to mention and discuss are, so, yeah, you know, I, I, the, one of the main reasons I had written this piece is, you know, at an early age, I saw very weird things with animals. Um, I've written a couple of past columns. One years ago I wrote where I called it me being the proverbial Dr. Doolittle. Because I've always had this weird ability to, to certainly calm people's pets and animals, uh, as well as even sometimes wild animals, weirdly enough. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think a lot of old souls have that skill and ability to know how to talk to animals and calm them. I just grew up in a house full of animals. I'm, I'm great with cats and dogs and kids even to some extent, but animals even, you know, it's just I have a knack for this. Um, I just I just posted something on Facebook recently about how I've been seeing raccoons where I live too, which is trippy because I, I don't live in the country. I live largely in the city and I've seen a family of, of raccoons. Uh, but I'm not going to get near the raccoons, but I can get awful close to them, and they don't seem to be as afraid of me as they are with other people. But I know I'm not going to try to pet a raccoon, a wild one, certainly by any means. But there's deeper totem meaning behind that, and I may get to that a little bit later on in today's show. But, yeah, I always saw weird things with animals that a lot of other people didn't do. One of my first early columns was a, story about how I used to feed squirrels by hand as a child. I grew up in New York. Um, and, you know, they never bit me. They would take the peanut, you know, from my hands. And I loved that. I was very charmed by that at five or six. And then, of course, someone told me that squirrels have rabies. And if they bite you, you know, you have to have huge needles put in your stomach. And, you know, and I became terrified and fearful and I was afraid of feeding squirrels. I don't know if that was a good or a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> that way, but I still never really truly became afraid of animals. But again, the point is I, I would see weird things with animals, and that's a big part of what the story was. You know, watching these birds in formation attacking my cat was just like one of those kind of weird moments where, you know, you're seeing something that I don't know if it's supposed to be. And, you know, you're not really taught that animals are smart enough, birds certainly, to orchestrate something like that. Um, and then I'm seeing it um, live you know, in that way. So it occurs to me that they are, you know, and I'll point something else that I've always noticed. Sometimes when I'm on, when I'm driving on a freeway, I don't know if anyone else has ever saw this, where birds are like dive bombing almost toward cars and then going up, um, you know, in a busy freeway. I've seen this a few times in my life where birds are, are doing that, getting awfully close to the cars, like almost diving down from the sky, diving back up, you know, I, I obviously think there's a little risk involved in this. That, you know, I don't know how skilled they are in maneuvering, but they seem to apparently be uh, able to do that. But I always wonder if it's almost like them playing, 
in a way, or, you know, like when you were kids and you did daring things, you know, uh, <laughs> that you wanted that vibration. I wonder about animals doing that. And I, I think that it, maybe in some cases they do uh, do that. I mean, I think there is a reality that animals do play in the same way that human beings do. Uh, you know, again, I, I just think we've been often taught not to see things through that lens, but I have really, really done a lot of studying and paying attention to animals throughout my life. So maybe I see a little more of this in that way. Uh, in fact, one of the readings that I do with, with, with clients is I do animal totem readings, looking at what animals are working in your life and how they can help you be stronger and navigate more effectively. And I love doing that. Those are, uh, I guess, some clients that enjoy doing that. Uh, with me, I bring them into some sessions, and it's great to teach people about that. In fact, I have a, a side channel on TikTok. I know I bit the bullet and had to do TikTok about uh, <laughs> six months ago. You just have to for, uh, for marketing purposes. And uh, I have a channel on TikTok called Animal Speaks, and um, I talk about birds and dogs. And, and right now I'm, I'm talking about raccoons on there. Just little three-minute mini videos. Same thing. I, I just did a, a, a video on YouTube uh, about the raccoon, a little longer one, eight or nine minutes about you know the concept of wearing masks that raccoons bring to us, the good and the bad of that, and you know what they represent as totem. And that's at my YouTube channel at J Ventura Snake Oil. But going back to the bird thing, um, you know, yeah, that was an interesting again thing to observe. You know, and, and as a storyteller, that was the point that I made. I saw it on a Sunday morning. I grew up in a family of nine. You know, quiet time was amazing, and you kind of wanted that moment, those moments when the house was empty or quiet. I always remember, you know, particularly around Christmas, like sometimes getting up early in the morning, you know, because we had put the tree up usually a couple of weeks before Christmas. And sometimes I'd lay under the Christmas tree and just look at the lights and just enjoy the, the vibe of it and the smell of the tree and the quietness before all my siblings got up and the house got louder and, you know, more active. So this is one of those times when I happen to see the birds kind of trying to push my cat into the pool. Uh, obviously sad ending, you know, the way uh, Rainbow died. But uh, I don't remember how old he was when, when he passed. But, um, you know, I think he had a, a relatively good life. Um, so, you know, when I went further into this in part two, I began to talk a little bit about, you know, looking at um, how we're often taught this concept of survival of the fittest. And, yeah, I very much validate that there is a certain truth of that, but it is a, a limited viewpoint because we also don't recognize how much cooperativeness exists within animal species and the way this all operates. I think it's less of a focus, and I think that that is the reality of duality. There is a competition at times and even brutality that can exist among animals and human beings, by the way, also. And also tremendous cooperation. I think, like I said, we're, we're just shown more of that one side um, that, that is in play. You know, and part of that is, and it is, and I wanted to write about this for this particular reason. You know, it's really tough to watch a bird, you know, um, trying to escape from a cat that's broken its wings and, you know, and, and brutalizing it. And, and, and it is, it's brutal. I've seen this a few times in my life. I, I usually, you know, there's nothing you could do at that point, you know, even if you were to get the hose out and spray the cat away, the bird is now has a broken wing or is now wounded. So almost to some extent you have to let 
nature carry it out, as uncomfortable as that may be, more often than not. I mean, there's a situation where, you know, an animal isn't wounded enough and it could get away, and sometimes that happens too. But generally, you know, once a cat gets it, it kind of has it. We've got five feral cats that live in our my condo complex here that are like my, my proverbial kids, and uh, I love them dearly. Uh, uh, but, you know, one of them, I jokingly call her the sheriff. She's the littlest one, but she's the badass. She's the one who kind of walks around as if she's protecting the complex even more than the others do. I think they all do. Um, I've seen her, you know, beating the crap out of scorpions and snakes and lizards. And, oh, my God, she is brutal uh, in terms of the way shoppers. And, of course, every once in a while they bring me a dead bird. Thankfully, this is only a few times in the last 10 years, rarely, thankfully. Yeah, but I know they do that because there's a showing of appreciation for me to feed them and to pet them and, oh, God, you know what I mean? But, of course, I hate it when they bring that. But I don't show them that. I, I tell them that Dad's proud, you know what I mean, as you're supposed to do. I think, again, what I'm getting at is we are so, as a species, in terms of human beings, we're so geared toward looking at death as this ending that is just absolute and terrible and the worst thing that can happen. And the truth is, you know, I think that's incredibly inaccurate. You know, if you really fully study metaphysics and understand the concepts behind it and things like reincarnation and, um, you know, and, and being in this world for a while and then going back to the other world and that we live multiple existences and we begin to understand that you absolutely, of course, want to protect life and you don't want to abuse it. Um, in fact, you know, to take another person's life, a person, uh, as an example, without their choice is a, creates karma that has to ultimately be resolved. So I'm, I'm not flippant about the idea of the way people treat each other and, of course, even the way we treat animals. There's, there's karma that can ensue when cruelty or lack of understanding is part of that process. But that aside... Um, yeah, death is a very, you know, natural process and, and thing that we go through. So, you know, when we look at, you know, again, a cat killing a bird as an example, you know, it's cruel and it sucks and it's difficult. But as I've joked about many a time before, you know, the, the cat doesn't have an option to go over to Sprouts or Whole Foods or, or Safeway to pick up food. So when it's taking an animal out, in some way, sometimes it's often eating that or taking that flesh or that energy in. And even when it's not doing it, again, it's somewhat part of the wiring and the nature of, of uh, many animals to do this as uncomfortable as we might get about it. So, you know, to label it evil is, again, kind of ludicrous. Um, it's not. It, it's, it can look that way to us. Uh, but ultimately in the larger picture, again, as I said written in the piece, each animal knows its roles. It understands the reality of this world. And part of it developing its skills to survive is learning how to dodge cats, you know, and some fail. Maybe the other animals learn from that. And this is, uh, you know, experiential in that way. You know, we, we, we just, you know, we, we look at death as an end and, I think, again, the consciousness of the bird in those circumstances merges with the cat. I completely agree with a lot of the American Indian philosophy about this and, and looks out through cat's eyes in that way. And, uh, you yeah, know, of course it's going to fight. 
you know, till the end to some extent. You know, we have a, a, an instinctive center that, that will fight or flight that will keep us fighting in that way. But I've often told this to people from having studied metaphysics for many years, and this is good news for maybe us as human beings to hear. When death is impending, you know, for ourselves or um, an animal, and it's almost unquestionable that that's coming, in actuality, we often leave the body beforehand. So while the body still may react as an instinctive way, our consciousness often is now outside the body. So this is why when people have out-of-body experience or near-death experiences, they often will talk about how they saw the paramedics trying to revive them when they were having a heart attack, and they, would just, they saw the light and they were debating whether to go back to the body or, you know, go to this warm, loving light that was pulling at them. In some cases, they fully depart, going to that warm, loving light, what we, I refer to as the other world in that way, where we eventually came from anyway. And other times they come back into body, they recognize that there's more work to be done or there's a reason they want to still be in a physical body, and, um, and, and they stay. And that can be life-changing as well. Uh, in the same way a, a major illness is when someone recovers from it, you know, it can change the course of your life. It can make you aware of maybe not sweating the small stuff and, and really getting even firmer on what your mission or your goal is and why you're still in a body. Again, it gets back to this idea that, you know, death itself is not a terrible thing. I've mentioned this to people many a time before, that birth is much more arduous than death. After you go back to the other world, you leave your ailing or struggling body behind. Birth, you, you know, you're a free spirit in the other world, and you move into this little tiny body that's cold and, and crapping on itself and doesn't know how to maneuver itself and is dependent on human beings and, you know, and, and hot and sweaty and, and, you know, and, oh, God almighty. Now, this is why I think infants sometimes are a little angry. <laughs> it's like I can't maneuver this thing around yet. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm trying to communicate with my mother and the people around me, and they don't understand what I'm saying. And, you know, birth is a bit more arduous, you know, uh, in, in reality. Back to your original point, when we depart, um, again, we will leave the body. So, you know, in, again, let me give you an extreme example of this. You know, if a person jumps off a building – was pushed off a building, which both are karma-creating acts. I've talked about karma before, both to clients and, and through some of my writing and the concepts behind that. Uh, if you push in, someone off a building and, and take their life, don't give them a choice on survival, you've created a karmic, um, uh, you know, web, a karmic um, tie that needs to be burned at some point, another lifetime, another time and place, and that can be done by experiencing the same thing or by saving a person's life, potentially another lifetime. Uh, there's different creative ways karma will work itself out. Yes, when you take another person's life outside of their choice, you uh, create karmic ribbon. But in, in all cases, whether the person commits suicide and, you know, listen, Suicide is not a good call. A lot of people will, will make that decision at different points, and in some one of our lifetimes we're probably going to do that. But I will tell you the reality is you're not punished for it as much as you will have to come back and play out what you were meant to in another time and place anyway. 
you know, until we, we, we go through what we needed to for our own evolution and our own learning. But in all cases, again, using going back to the analogy of jumping off or being pushed off a building, you're not going to feel yourself flat on the ground. I'm, I'm telling you that right now. You will have long exited the body during that. You may see yourself falling, you know, outside the body and that response. I'm sorry I'm using such a graphic example. <laughs> it's pretty gross. But, you know, that is the reality. You're not going to be there when that occurs. Anyone who's experienced working with people that are, um, you know, going through the process of dying, whether that's in slow motion or quickly, understands the vibrations in the room change. There's a different kind of, of, of pattern. Then even recently, you know, in the news a couple months ago was the death of Betty White, you know, a very uh, amazing icon for, for many of us. Uh, she was 99, just two months away from turning 100. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, my God, it's so sad that she died. I was like, I don't really think it's sad. I mean, she was an awesome person. I loved her and Mary Tyler Moore as Sue Ann Nivens, by the way. That was my favorite role she's ever done. Hysterical. Uh, and she just was a cool human being in all the roles that she did. Very lively Capricorn right to the end. But, you know, the interesting part of the story is, she was talking to a caretaker of hers about how she missed her husband, Alan Ludden, and then she died in her sleep, I believe, that night. So I think that, you know, Alan, who had died many decades before, was coming from the other world, kind of asking her to cross over. And I believe it was a fairly peaceful death for her. And you know, my take is, you know, rather than saying it is sad, I think she should get an Academy Award for an excellent death. You know what I mean? This was a peaceful, beautiful life, 99, you know what I mean? That's, that's excellent. You know, I, I just view it, I guess, a little differently than other people do. Um, I think it's just a wiser point of view. You know, is a is a long lifetime where you live to 110, but you're miserable better than a lifetime where you only live to 50, where you were happy? You know? I always said that, going back to the animal thing. I, you know, I, I used to sort of, quote-unquote, jokingly say that, you know, during my childhood, my mom was really good about whenever one of our dogs would pass, we would go to a shelter and pick up another dog, sometimes two. Um, within a, two weeks or so after the animal passed, um, she would, was really a lot about rescuing unwanted animals. So we always had two or three dogs in the house and often one cat. And um, I used to jokingly say that there's like a, a waiting line in heaven, for lack of a better way of putting it, of, of dogs that are just waiting to get into my family's home. <laughs> you know that like when they did pass, they were like talking to the other dogs and cats and being like, oh, my God, it was about as good a life as you can get being with this Ventura family you know, we got treated as good, if not better, than the kids. Yes, that's my mother's joke was that she, the animals, uh, she loved the animals a little bit more because they weren't nasty to her, <laughs> like my sisters were. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I always joked about that. They, you know, they lived really happy lives when they were with uh, my family. They, you know, they were slept in the beds and they were allowed to go on the couch. And, you know, my mother was a stay-at-home mom, so they – had the delight of, you know, remember being a kid and coming home from school, and my mom would be hanging the laundry outside in the backyard on the clothesline. The dogs would be running around the pool and jumping in the air and, you know what I mean, just so happy. And, you know, I was like, oh, they're so gay. 
you know, I know you're not allowed to say that now. <laughs> I just meant that they were lively and happy and, you know what I mean, you're, you know, part of the interpretation of that word in a positive sense. But uh, the dogs used to make me laugh. They, I, I was close to those dogs as some of my siblings were, but my mom was number one. You know, my mom was number one, understandably so. But, uh, yeah, that was always my, my thing. It was an area where my mother was really good about rescuing and saving animals and, so we did. We, you know, it's interesting because in my family, there was a split. Uh, I have six siblings. Um, I'm the second youngest. I have a little sister, and I've got older siblings. You know, like the older siblings are not as animal loving. They're not bad with it, you know, but, and they were kind of more, you know, not as into animals. And, and me, my little sister, and my brother, um, the youngest, were really animal lovers in the extreme. But we used it, certainly me and my little sister did, to make that connection to my mother. You know, my mother was kind of not so overly emotionally affectionate, German, Aries, baby soul. Um, but if you can sit with a dog, you, you sit next to mom with a dog between you, you can get close to her. <laughs> so that was like our strategy in a way. And it helped us to kind of love dogs and, you know, as well. My little sister's really nuts about, about rescuing it and taking care of dogs, her and her husband. But, uh, you know, yeah, so this love of animals really, for me, translated into almost like a therapy in a way. You know, I can watch flocks of birds and get insight. Last night I had taken a walk in the neighborhood, and it was maybe, you know, 1030 at night, you know, it's Phoenix, so it's still muggy. At least it's not horribly hot. We're only hitting the upper 90s at our high this week, which is a little weird, but the, but the humidity is high. And I went for a walk, and um, a big, huge bird flew by me and landed on a pole, you know, not very far from me. And I'm pretty sure it was a hawk. Uh, it was a pretty large bird. And the way it perched itself, it was dark out, so I couldn't see it once it got to that thing, but when it flew by me, pretty sure I saw a hawk. Um, at times, I've even seen owls fly by me, but this some pretty positive was a hawk. So, of course, I know what hawk means as an animal totem. So, again, when I see animals, it brings this vibration into my awareness that the animal is trying to share its energy with me. Again, I don't have to go and kill it, you know, nor would I even want to in, in my case. But I knew that that energy is coming in, and hawks are about, you know, pride and dignity and recollecting, you know, missing pieces from your past. And, and, you know, and sort of uh, using the gift of detail to both spot the details of life, but also to see the larger picture. It's a lot of different connotations to Hawk. Very apropos for this new project I'm working on. So I took that in. And, you know, in addition, as I had mentioned before, because I just did the YouTube video on it, as well as a couple of a spot on it for at a TikTok about raccoons, you know, this concept with raccoon is wearing a new mask, taking, you know, there's good and bad to wearing masks. You can wear a mask because you're hiding yourself. But we also use masks in celebrations and ceremonies. And Halloween is an example. People can really have fun and, and be something else and be playful and, you know, and do that as well. So, you know, the truth is I think we all wear masks in different ways. Some of those masks can be negative if you're, you know, if you're a young person and you're, you know, gay or lesbian or bisexual and you're pretending not to be out of fear, that could be a negative mask in that sense. It could also be a survival mask for a while. You know, if you're in a 
you know, in a, in a holy roller psychotic family or circumstance or situation. Um, but, you know, at different points, we want to let go of our mask, but masks can serve a purpose at different points. And the raccoon brings us up as one of the, uh, the energies behind it. And there's a, the positive is, you know, we can take on a new mask. We can decide we're going to be something or, or move into another direction at different points in our lives. And that, that can be a very powerful thing. Um, we all wear, you know, we all wear masks. It's not always uh, a negative. It's only when we're hiding and fearful that the mask is negative. Otherwise, there can be a positive element to it. Listen, if you're a waiter or a bartender, you know this. You go, you work in a restaurant, you put on your mask when you get there. I'm not literally saying it, although now, after the COVID crapola, people, restaurants, I still see wearing masks and stuff. God, I'm so over that. Oh, God. Anyway, whatever. So it's a sad rant. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when you're a waiter or a bartender, you do put a mask on. What I mean by that is you have to be pleasant and lovable and likable and, and, a, and a good hard worker and, and enjoy all the customers that you talk to, and at least if you're doing it well, right? <laughs> but that's a mask. I mean, you don't normally love everyone that you encounter and want to feel pleasant to every person around you, but if it's part of your job, you put that mask on, right? That can make you successful. It can have a value. So, yes, uh, we don't. We always want to look at masks as a negative thing. Of course, the other thing that, that, that you know, raccoons are very protective of their families. Um, they also, in a lot of cultures, they were seen as magical and protectors in some ways. Um, there's all kinds of connotations to raccoon that are interesting, and I've just seen them like crazy in the last year. So, again, I know that's totem. So when you understand the concept of totem, you're able to look at the animals that come across our path that we have affinities for or a natural attraction to um, as, as teachers, as guides. And here's the other good part, guys. You don't have to keep encountering raccoons to take on the energy of raccoon. You can choose to. You can ask the spirit of the raccoon to enter into your life, to show you its energy, its power, its wisdom, to bring that into your space. You know, people do this kind of in different ways where they get tattoos of certain animals or they – they purchase pictures of it or, you know, people do this without realizing that they're pulling in totem. So you can consciously do this. That's why you know, I love doing sessions with people about this subject as well. But anyway, so I wanted to go on a little tangent about uh, totem, so maybe everyone understands that a little bit more. But um, looks like we're running low on time here. So uh, this is why I, I generally don't take live calls. Uh, almost never for the column shows, uh, only because we said, because people really want to ask personal questions. And again, I have no issue with that. Sometimes that's a fun thing to do. Just not on a column show. I want to really stay on subject for people interested in, in going a little further into what my column was talking about, as we've done today. So, all right. If you're not already getting my newsletter, uh, Snake Oil, uh, email me at VentureSagiGahoo.com. To get added to the mailing list, you may want to mention your birthday. I do a birthday promotion once a year by sign for discounted sessions. Um, info reading can be found on my website at jimventura.com. Those can be done at my home office here. But, you know, a good 75% of my clientele now are by phone or FaceTime or Zoom. So no problem with that. If you're out of area, you're still able to book sessions on the different things that I do. Get info on that at jimventura.com. And, um, you know, uh, check out my YouTube channel, J Ventura, single letter J Ventura, Snake Oil. Punch that into the search engine. You should be able to track that. YouTube column, 
and uh, column of YouTube videos. I do one of those once a month. So, all right, guys. Um, I'd like to say happy start to fall, but I don't think we're quite there yet. And until next time, uh, everyone, have a good one. Enjoy the last parts of the summer. And uh, cheers. <laughs>